Welcome to Taking Care of Lady Business, where we put the business back in lady business. Hosted by Jennifer Justice, founder and CEO of the Justice Department, a management strategy and law firm that works with female and woke male entrepreneurs, executives, talent, brands, and creatives to build and maximize their wealth, focusing in the areas of tech, consumer product, finance, media, entertainment, and fashion. Jennifer interviews entrepreneurial women who have done it all, who will be sharing their secrets on all things business, especially as a woman. These highly successful women will share strategies and insights, including what not to do and what it takes to win. And now, here's your host, Jennifer Justice. Hello, everyone. Welcome to this episode of Taking Care of Lady Business. Today, I have two of my favorite ladies on here today from Yola Mescal. And full disclosure, I am an investor, but also very good friends with these ladies. So we're going to have a lot of fun today. Um, so today I have on Gina Corral Aliete. Yes. <laughs> and Yola Jimenez. Look at that. Perfect. Woohoo. Hi, ladies. Hi. An Italian and a Mexican start a Mexican. Exactly. And here we are today to talk all about it. So I just love your founder story and I love the journey you've all been on together. And I would like to start a little bit with that, like how you met and, and did this. I mean, I find that everybody who listens and everyone who's on there has such a different journey and story about how they start their companies. And it's never super linear, you know, and it just gives inspiration um, to other people who want to start these. So who wants to jump off on how you two met and decided to start this company? Definitely not linear still. Uh, <laughs> but I <laughs> but I think Yola should start because it all is, it's her story. Um, I mean, yeah, it definitely doesn't feel very linear and it feels like, in a way, it's been going on for most of our adult lives in a way. So it feels very, very much like a part of, of who we are, which I really enjoy. And uh, and it's, it's definitely been a process of growth of the company, but a lot of personal growth and um, a lot of very different circumstances that we've been through the years. But I think we're, we're going on like our 14th, 15th year. A friendship? I mean, yeah, I think I think so. I think so. Around fifteen years for sure. Definitely. Yeah. <laughs> Very long time. And all those yeah. things I'm sure that come through with being friends and then starting a company together. A mezcal company on in particular, which is extremely known in spirits, you know, very male dominated, you know, seen a different way, you just positioned a certain way. And you are here starting it to like change that whole dynamic. Yeah. And and being in as friends and business owners and partners is also beyond liquor, which is this whole other bag of, you know, uh, challenges is complicated because as women, we go through so many changes as we grow up and and for these new chapters. And in particular for Yola Mescal with real social impact components and sustainability components, which most liquor and spirits companies and beverage companies in general don't really think about. Right. So you're hiding on. So all right. So let's go about how you, how you guys started the company. How did you decide to start it? 
Well, I think like one of the reasons that we had so many um, ideas, uh, especially uh, about social impact and uh, and how we wanted to grow is that we were so young when we met. And I feel like that gave us not only, of course, energy, but we had that naivete of we can change the world in many different ways. Uh, and we had no idea how it was going to take a, uh, a lot of time and a lot of effort and a lot of convincing and mostly a lot of conversations with men that didn't believe in what we were doing. Yeah. But we, we never had that experience in the corporate world. So we didn't know. And we were, everyone's going to believe in our story and everyone's going to want to support a, a company that's trying to do good. And of course, the world uh, is not quite like that. But uh, I thought, it, it, or I still think, it's a really beautiful inception of um, of our company that we were young and really, truly wanted to to do things differently. And for me, when I met Gina, I was kind of just starting uh, with Mescal, and she was one of the first people that really fell in love with it, believed in it, saw their their its potential, and wanted to to make it grow in a good way and also fell in love with Mexico, um, which I think it's, um, it's, it's wonderful too, because it makes a very, um, it makes a very different beginning when you create something uh, based on your hopes for it, instead of uh, only seeing um, the profitable side of things. Right. So for me, that, that really brought a lot of beautiful moments and ideas, but we met in, uh, in a restaurant in Mexico City that has become a classic of interaction in this new era of Mexico called Contramar, which uh, I'm sure if you've ever been to Mexico City and Roma, you have you have gone. And uh, and yeah, like 15 years ago, we were introduced by a mutual friend, and I gave uh, Gina Mescal, and like I said, she just completely fell in love with it and started um, being its biggest supportive supportive in uh, in America, took it to New York, took it to LA, was constantly telling everyone that she knew how different and how good of a product it was and how it was really made of of people and women in Oaxaca. So when I um, when I took Gina and Lika, our other uh, founding partner there, and they met everyone who is still the family that we were to this day. And uh, so they've, we've known them for, for a really long time. And they they met them, they saw them, they they understood the work. That's when we decided to to do a company that, w- that ideas were based upon uh, keeping those traditions and respecting Oaxaca and most of all supporting the community. So let's back up a little bit. Like, how did you get into Mezcal? Is it your family? Like... Wow. It was it was my grandfather really my, because mezcal has only become popular and profitable in the past decade. My family wasn't at all interested um, in being part of it, but my grandfather is uh, completely indigenous from the Sierra Oaxaca and grew up around mezcal and grew up making mezcal. So I, I remember all of my childhood him. Um, drinking mezcal with his friends or going to the towns. And then he started making his own and was something that made him really happy and proud. And for me, always had the connotation of Oaxaca. That is why I always remember that smell as Oaxaca. Mm -hmm. So uh, when he gets sick and seeing that everyone in my family wasn't interested in it and seeing a lot of people living in Oaxaca City that trying to preserve that much of it at that time, 
16 years ago, I really wanted to try to find even if it's a, a very minimal way to um, to be something that it wasn't lost. So I looked for his recipes and I wanted to contact all the people that I here work with. And I knew Javier and his family from, from going to the farm. So I, yeah, I wanted to preserve it. And I started a little bar in Mexico to just start bringing really artisanal small batches of mezcal to Mexico City, which at that time you couldn't really find. And mm-hmm. it was still rare here. And then from then I started meeting a lot of producers and I met Gene and Lique through, uh, at different times, but uh, through mezcal. And the three of us... Um, wanted to do something together but also really wanted to to do something with Oaxaca and I started seeing the explosion of mezcal that it was pretty pretty much from one day to the next of having a a spirit that was completely the underdog because it's done by indigenous people in Mexico suddenly have so much support and love especially from the culinary scene in Mexico City, but then seeing how much that was growing and having a lot of people contact me because I'm from there. And I knew producers about how they were starting a brand. And it went from one year of, oh, I really want to try mezcal and go to a bar to two or three years later, having four or five people contact me a day about starting their own mezcal brand. So at that <laughs> point, you're like, if you're, if you're going to ask me and you have no experience and no connection, why don't we do it? Exactly. And like the number, I was like, uh, very, very impressed. I think we are, our companies, I think number 40 something in the Moscow Association, right, Gina? Yeah. Um, and I think like now it's in the thousands and thousands and it's been, you know, 10, eight years. So it's really an incredible exponential growth of, of people having brands and yeah. So the three of us said, we really want to do this in the right way. We want to have a brand that preserves the traditional recipes. We want to know where the plants are coming from. We want to know that the people, the mezcaleros are involved, are partners on our brand, not employees that we're going to, you know, put in a, in a factory. And, uh, and we want to make sure that it's really Mexican-owned, Oaxacan-owned, Oaxacan-produced. And uh, I've been lucky enough that I have two partners that believe in that completely and have from day one. So, so Yolo Mescal was born. <laughs> there's a lot of stuff in between but yeah. <laughs> yep. no but it's great you like you know it's an artisanal you know and it's like and it, why you want to preserve the tradition and the heritage and because that's really what it is it's like calling you know it's like calling bubbly wine champagne and it's not from champagne it's yeah. you know, there's like there's an authenticity to it and because you are you know it's your family's farm you know makes it even more um, amazing, you know, and then, so how did you guys figure out what you would all do? Right. Because Gina, what were you doing at the time? Oh boy. I don't know what I, what wasn't I doing? I think is a better question. I was doing so many things. I was sort of like this. I found my way into so many different, um, industries and types of work. I was costume designing. I was styling. I was producing events. I was cooking on the side for like special you know, parties, I had a kind of a plethora of experience, but had a hard time kind of like consolidating and focusing into one trade, I would say. And I think that I always felt very kind of 
frustrated when I'd be on sets and I'd want to have more control or I'd, I'd think that I could solve the problems more quickly. I, you know, I loved leading teams and putting things together and solving problems and making things happen. But I just, I don't think I had found uh, an avenue of direction in something that I felt like worthy of, you know, investing a really big chunk of my life into. And I think I also had some personal stuff happen. My father passed away and I had a really bad breakup. And I think that like kickstarted me into wanting to do something meaningful and something I cared about. And I felt like, you know, at the point that I was at with the fashion stuff that I was adjacent to, I felt so kind of um, frustrated by waste and by the, you know, Mm -hmm. lack of the sort of lack of awareness around what we were creating. And also um, from an eco perspective, just like where we were headed in America. And I thought, I think, meeting Yola and always having like a fascination and a love for the culinary world and the hospitality world, but not knowing exactly like what entry point I wanted to be part of it. This felt like it was a, a kind of a combination of everything that I cared about and loved in the world. And I had this deep passion for what I discovered through her in Mexico. I mean, I think a lot of people around me 15 years ago when I first went to Mexico city were like, scared to go and um, paranoid about, you know, safety there. And I, I feel like I got this access to this like treasure of a place and people and like the complete opposite. And I think that that branding of, of Mexico at the time really hurt me. It really upset me. Yeah. Um, and I really wanted to sort of change people's perspective on that. Um, both because Yola obviously showed me the most beautiful world and people and and food and art, but also, you know, I grew up in Southern California around a lot of like agriculture farming towns. And I think like, yeah, it just spoke to me to be in Oaxaca and see that. And and I care about, I care about sustainability and farming and where we get our food. And I think the way that I saw people care about where they were starting to care about where they were getting their food, but not caring about everything they put in their body was really fascinating to me too. I think like, you know, people were drinking and consuming things are, mass-produced, industrial-produced chemicals, basically, but then wondering where their chicken came from. So I think, like, (laughs) So true. You know, and I I think Mescal was just, like, I don't know. It was the most magical, feeling, high experience I'd ever had. And Yola is a big, obviously, the most essential part of that in a way. But I think, um, yeah, I, I was just it really changed my life, this experience. So I, and I wanted to spend as much time as I could come up with and energy that I could come up with trying to share it with people. And that's kind of what I started doing with her and trying to find a way to make it a reality and had no experience obviously in liquor, but, and also as an executive of this sort, but I think it's a lot of, you know, you, you read a lot about how people become entrepreneurs in it. And most of the time it's, instinct it's passion it's perseverance and um and it's just like stick to and that's yeah. sort of what we when we look back like we've made so many mistakes i've made so many mistakes but you just kind of like if you do not give up you can find your way and if, if you and i think if you have like a solid enough product that people can get behind and believe in on top of like having i think the best mezcal i've ever had i mean when we first met i'd never tried mezcal so yola's was the best and now there's thousands of mezcals we compete with on the shelf and I still pick up ours and it's my favorite one after drinking quite a few. So (laughs) the product is exceptional still to me. 
Um, it's what I want to drink every day. Um, I love it every day. And, and in every way, Yola's mission and, and belief system and ethics are like really, really like get me up in the morning and make me like keep, keep going and trying to find our, our way. But I think like the other kind of exciting thing that happened aside from being excited about the mezcal category, being excited about Mexico and having this product be like so beautiful. And of course, like what she wanted to implement in terms of a direct pay system there. I think there was also the through line for me was seeing like the shift culturally on this side of the border too, just, and this is such a big part of like what your mission has been JJ and your career post music stuff is like, you know, there's a, there was a shift in terms of women actually being breadwinners and actually starting to make choices. And, you know, we kind of started having these conversations, Yoli and I, before the, the women's movement's most recent explosion, um, post me too and all and over you know the trump era but i think we were just realizing that our our friends were really like taking a lot of uh initiative and and you know um responsibility for their own lives and needing to and having access to be able to but that conversation i think drove sort of the foundation of what we started which was right. how can we actually support women in this place where they you know oaxaca rural a rural developing village where they don't have as much information as we have and how can we kind of like marry that with what women are doing and saying in our community here and how do we uplift those voices and and make a change in an industry that has an archaic kind of structure to it that blocks women's voices so that was very all of that kind of coming together and leaky i'll give her credit with for that she kind of came up with strong woman strong drink and i think like we'd come out of the skinny girl margarita moment where, yeah, women need their own thing, but it still has a bunch of sugar chemicals and is pink, you know? I think we came out of that moment going, we don't, it doesn't need to look like what you think girls need things to look like. And it doesn't need to taste like what we've said things need to be tasting like. They can be a little bit more unisex, I guess. And we can fight for equality through being like more empowered as women. So all of that together felt pretty rich and worth, uh, you know, Worth starting a company in the next decades, yeah. decade well, or more. Do you, you just, you hit on something very briefly and I just want to hammer down a little bit, the direct pay system. Yeah. So can you talk about what that is? I think one of the things that we were most shocked about was how women really didn't have a title for their work. I still don't. I think the majority of women in Mexico don't have a, t- a specific title for their job and they don't have a, a bank account and they don't have social security and, and they're expected to do every type of job at all the time, but their husband or whoever the man is receives all of the actual practicality and specifically the money for everyone else's job. And that was something that uh, we felt really strongly against. And I kept seeing women working way harder and and in so many different aspects of the palenque, like I was saying, from cleaning from to like cooking uh, for everyone and to make sure that everything was organized to uh, receiving people and to different parts of, of the production as well. And then the payment and, and the conversation would be talked to a man. And I said, I want to change that um, immediately. I want for the the women that we work with to feel empowered, to feel respected, to feel like their time is worth 
equally and their hour and, and their work is seen most of all. That's when we started um, figuring a way for, for direct payment that uh, has only growth and been very successful because it does, like with everything, I think um, when you are treated like an equal and a human being, uh, you act very differently. And that's the problem that women have had throughout history is that we haven't had that chance. And in poor places like Mexico, that uh, has been even slower. So it is incredibly important that those changes happen and affect society. And they always affect society for the better. Yeah. No, that's and a happen always. Yeah. That was one of the things that was so impressive, you know, when I first started talking to you all is, you know, people not understanding that women were not getting paid directly. And for you to be like, no, that's it's not okay. You can't work for us and not get paid directly. You know, and you're right. It's like people want to feel like a part of it and they want their voice heard and, you know, definitely paid directly. So um, I think that's, you know, something to to really highlight in the journey of Yola Miscall for sure. You know, and I so oh. we not only women get paid, paid directly, but, you know, I think like what we've learned, too, is there's just so few Mexicans that are actually benefiting from the mezcal and tequila, the agave industry right now. Right. And so the fact that Yola is a woman is extraordinary and that we're hiring women is extraordinary. But even just the fact that we that she's Mexican and Oaxacan is also to be noted because the majority of, of the agave industry is really Champ, the, the winners are not are not Mexican right now, right? And exactly. The industry in the U.S. So I think that's also seems absurd to even uh, have to consider, but it is worth noting. No, so true. Yeah, yeah. And it will be walking, less walking less. the talk, right? What What do you say, Yola? Oh, that it will be less and less. The the way that that the industry is growing is going to uh, to be less and less, and it is in the hands of Mexicans. Uh, for the foreseeable future and is yeah it's it's unfortunate because for oaxaca is a it's a very rooted way of life yeah um all right well so we're launched now right and you guys then decide you're going to build this brand and how are you going to fund it (laughs) (laughs) we got to call jj (laughs) before i got involved (laughs) The beginning of the brand was very organic. We did not know the scale category wasn't even really that established. So this was about eight-ish years ago. We started throwing these dinner parties and Yola would bring apothecary bottles with different recipes of her grandfathers and everyone would go, what is this stuff? You know, and like call us all week later going, when's Yola coming back? But we, you know, it was very much, can we do this? Uh, how do we do this? Um asking so many questions, just anyone who would listen, give, lend an ear, you know, um, and just hammering away at it. But I think, you know, in the very early days, it was our friends that were at those early dinner parties that were like, we want to be part of this. It's amazing. We're so excited for you guys. And everyone would sort of chip in along the way, which obviously those are our angels and they're, they're a big part of our community still. And then we got to a point where we really launched and we had product in the market and it was uh, then it became a sprint because we got a lot of great press, which was amazing. Um, I think our story really resonated and that was all very exciting. But then it was sort of about, OK, how do we keep up? How do we scale production? What's the timing? What's the ebb and flow of all of this? And how do we build a team that makes sense? And it was a very much a DIY project in the beginning. And 
through friends of friends and through, um, you know, relationships, we did bring in some, some more sophisticated investors. Uh, but there was a point that I remember the three of us stopped and went, what if we do all of this? And at the end, it's all white men that own the company because yeah. we're getting all of these <laughs> because they're the ones who are around, you know, and available and and can invest and are more, av- you know, avidly investing. And venture capital, like 90% of the time you get on the phone with them, it's run by white men. So it just started to become more and more apparent that we could do all of this work, but essentially like it is a, it is a very cash intensive business, the liquor industry to be competitive in the U S and we were, we were realizing at some point the company would end up being majority owned by, by men if we didn't kind of rethink this. And then we of course met you through one of our amazing community people in our community, Mia, and you kind of gave me a real advisory lunch talk where you were like, you have to get female investors to represent what you're doing in Mexico. And which just was sort of over, it was outside of my, you know, didn't know to go that route. And I didn't even think to go that route at that time, but you obviously opened up this incredible world to us of women who are ready to like, make those leaps and um, take chances. And so the cap table currently, not by volume, but but in terms of male to female, we have 60% women on, on our cap table, which is very exciting and a lot to do with you, JJ. Well, oh, thank you. That's not why I asked the question, but thank you very much. <laughs> no, but it's cool because you realize women are instinctive and they go off of like gut and they really are excited to help each other and they galvanize the way women do. I mean, women really galvanize. And um, I think that the heart of this company is so full that it will go on and it will grow and it, we will, we will win within the world that we're in. And I think that that is going to be because there's so many women who have supported us. I think there's a ton of amazing men who have supported us as well, but from a practical perspective, I think men just look at these businesses very differently than women do. And we have a lot of support that's just like so much fueled our passion every day for it. And I I think even, yeah, I think that's so important and something that we've seen so much even when we were saying about direct payment uh, about 10 years ago, you know, something that in Mexico has changed uh, drastically, even in rural places, because women have really uh, started working together. And um, and now I think we are coming up to like a 35% to 40% uh, workforce. We are the two candidate uh, presidential presidents are women. We just uh, passed uh, nationwide abortion rights, and we are on our way to um, to Congress to pass a law about equal pay as well in, in Mexico City and, other, and some of the bigger states. And it's all done through women and associations supporting each other, um, which we're trying to do a lot. So you can make a great deal of difference, even in a country like Mexico that 10 years ago you couldn't even get pay to suddenly be run and have rights in a way bigger percentage than America does, for instance. Yeah. It's very inspiring. Well, yes. And and what you were just saying now, you know, Mexico will have more rights than the United States when it comes to women's reproductive health. So we do now. Yeah. Yeah. Now that's what I'm saying. It's like, it's crazy when you think about it that way. The land of the free. Yeah. (laughs) Well, but you know what? It's going to take more women having capital in their hands to have more of a say 
in, you know, and distribution of wealth among the genders, equal, you know, equal distribution that will give us more impact and, and say in the U S in particular, you know, so, but I love hearing all of that. And I love that, you, you know, it's going to be part of your story and is part of the story, but, you know, now, so you're in this like era where it's like you're established, you're in all the hot and top restaurants and in, in every major city, Mexico city, New York, LA, all over, and, you know, really growing your presence and your footprint, you know, but what kind of like obstacles and things are you coming across now knowing that, you know, to grow, especially in the Spears business that is mostly male dominated, like what are you finding that you could give any advice for anybody else who's coming up behind you? I just don't know if anyone should start a liquor. No, just kidding. <laughs> um, unless you have a real story and a real product, because I will say this, when we first started, we took a few meetings with distributors and I mean, the book we could write, um, they, I remember one of the first ones got on the phone with us and goes, yeah, I don't know why you'd make this about the fact that you're women. I mean, that's just going to alienate people. I mean, we had so many different conversations like that, that were just really, uh, discouraging. And at the time there was like, I think very few, like I said, maybe there was skinny girl margarita that was successful, but other than that, there weren't a lot of liquor companies or, CPG companies that were toting like female founded. And I think there was obviously an, a, a big um, excitement around that post me too. And that became a real battle cry for people in a beautiful way. But now there's, there's a ton of, there's a ton of liquor companies and packaged good companies that have female founders now. And that's just like very encouraging and exciting, but there still really aren't any major global brands that have had that as their, you know, as their foundation. And I think that's really interesting. I think the ones that are seemingly big are mostly probably owned by men, but there's a woman in the forefront, um, which is really just an endorsement deal. There's very few that are truly owned by women and being run by women that have made it to the global stage. So I do think, interestingly enough, even though we've been at it for a while now, I, I still am realizing like there's so much path to pave which is exciting and daunting, but, and, you know, I, I, it's not necessarily about winning within that, but it is about trying to make sure that happens because I think that would be such a huge triumph um, in general. Well, it also pays away for people behind you, right? You know? Exactly. I mean, that it, yeah. it makes it that it is possible, you know, um, but distribution is still a very archaic structure in the U S and I think people maybe don't even realize how bought they are when they walk in most places by these distributors and how locked in a lot of the um the accounts the bars and restaurants and the hotel groups really are sort of at the mercy of whatever these distributors want you to have on your shelves so um advice is be prepared to go to battle with that be prepared to um try to find like the best route to market early if you're starting so that that is someone you're holding hands with and helping you get along the way. We've had like extreme situations there where like we've had smaller, medium-sized distributors that really are are, our partners and really working hard to help support us. And then we've had other situations where we're almost blocked from business because, yeah, you know, because they have their mandates from other brands. So I do think, you know, the distribution is a real thing in the U.S., but yeah, having a strategy there that makes sense and having, having a really experienced team 
is important and as well. Building your brand, right? Because you're not just doing mezcal, like you've had um, experiences like Yola Dia and other yeah. bring the community together, right? Absolutely. And I think that that's like, that's such a huge piece of why we exist uh, beyond obviously the fact that we do have this incredible story and we do have this incredible product. What we've done in terms of our community in in every way in terms of celebrating the brand and bringing people together and having the conversations that we've had around the things we care about politically um, has made for, I think, consumers to really care about us. So even if we aren't as big or mainstream as other products, I think we've managed to have like garnered really loyal fans because of the things and what we stand for. So that's been a beautiful piece of building the brand. And ultimately, a distributor can block you all they want, but you know, if, if somebody really wants to drink Yola, hopefully they'll get to. Well, not only that, it's like, you know, then they can walk the walk. It's, it's, you know, can be scary as a brand to be on a certain side of the political spectrum or a certain voice, you know what I mean? And so we saw so many of them during BLM and me too, kind of take a back seat or, you know, kind of do it. But to say like and put a stake in the ground and say this is what we stand for and this is what we're going to stand for forever um, also built a lot of really loyal followers and people who want to support you along the journey, knowing that there's going to be haters along the way, too. Yeah, absolutely. And it, and we saw so many shifts in all of that. I think there was a moment where everyone was sort of sick of brands toting these, you know, it became so ubiquitous or so saturated to sort of attach yourself to good doing or to, you know, organizations and giving back. But I think, yeah, it's just a core element of who we are and the brand is an extension of that. And I think it's always been important to us and it will continue to be. Yeah. And Yola Dio was like a really wonderful, beautiful expression of that, um, that we were really proud of, I think. And hopefully I won't dangle the carrot too too low but we'll come back next year so just so the listeners understand yola dia was an all-female concert held in la in 2019 yes so all female identifying music and art yola did an incredible art project there um we got a partnership with live nation and we sort of pitched them this idea that i think they thought they were just getting like a girl concert lineup and they were put all their normal (laughs) vendors in but we really pushed them and Yola brought amazing chefs from Mexico and did a really beautiful art project with the ACLU's immigration department where we had different artists create flags in the, in the dimensions of national flags and we auctioned them off for the immigration department. So that was a really beautiful aspect of it. And it was a very cool event, but it was a nice, yeah. And we supported the downtown women's center, but it just felt like a really 360 experience of everything that we cared about when we started. And still care about, and hopefully there will be another one. Yes. yes. Um, I don't want I don't want to be too yes, but there's deep conversations about that coming back next year which I hope everyone listening can come to if so cuz it was really fun. Mm-hmm. It'll be Um so I can't believe this but we're already out of time and um <laughs> because this is like I have a million more things that I could ask you all and I know that the audience would love to hear but I also know that you're very busy. So you can um, come back. You can come back. So let's get to where where people can get Yola Miskal. 
Where can we find it? You. Well, we just launched a new website, which is really exciting. So you have a very clean, easy uh, customer experience if you want to order online. And then on there is also all of our stockists. Um, we're in about 12 markets in the U.S., mostly L.A. and New York as far as like really strong presence. And we're launching in Europe soon. And... Y-O-L-A-M-E-Z-C-A-L. And we're also launching a few new products. So keep on the lookout for those. We'll send yeah, you very good holiday gifting coming. Holiday gifting. Okay. And JJ, you're just a pioneer. And we're so proud to be part of your orbit. And thank you for everything that you've done for us and a lot of other women in business. You're just getting yeah. started, baby. We're just yeah. getting all right, so I do have one question I ask everybody at the end of these podcasts, though, and it is what's the worst advice you've ever received um, in business, which is for women, it's a lot. So Yola, I will start with you. Mm. Cut corners. Uh, <laughs> I love that you should do like that. Cut corners. <laughs> They're like, like, you could make this cheaper and you can make this that. Uh and I feel like one of the main reasons we have, um, we do have the support that we have and the love that we have is we care about the product very much and, and the people behind it. And I think that's, um, yeah. yeah, I think it's that's important. How we, how we got where we are today with like climate change is because everyone cut, cut was cutting corners and making it the easy. corners cut. Now we're boiling. <laughs> and now we're literally boiling. Yeah. <laughs> okay. And Gina, you? Um, mine's a little bit more abstract, but I, I feel like a lot of men early on and still do tell me don't ride the highs and don't ride the lows. And I, I get that in one vein, but I think that's just not being a woman. I think being a woman is riding the emotions and emotions are so telling and informative. And I don't think it always means that you're hysterical and woeing out and having to lay down and get horizontal. I just think it means that you're really feeling it all. And I think that is the journey. It's feeling it. And I think part of maybe we're really extra blessed that we did this as friends but it's also harder because you're friends because you care so much about each other and it it's not just about the bottom line it's about like growing together and like celebrating each other and like challenging each other and I would not have done this again if I didn't get to feel all those highs. yeah it's also called passion when it's a man by the way yeah <laughs> I'm like yeah. Yeah, that's been the most extraordinary piece of it is is not just just the business side of it, but the, the journey has been really beautiful. So I would encourage people to write it. I love it. Thank you so much. Everyone go out and buy some Yola Mescal. So you're supporting this beautiful mission and vision. Thank you. Um, yeah, of course. Thank you both for being on here. I'm so happy uh, we made this happen. And to everyone listening, thank you so much. And until next time, I'm Jennifer Justice. 49 faces looked to him in triumph. Over the last 12 months, they had each taken turns and promoted his business for a week at a time, driving over $987,342 in revenue. What if you had a network of 50 centers of influence who promoted your business every week for a year? Grab your copy of the number one Amazon bestselling book, The Ultimate Guide to Growing Your Business with a Podcast at 33% off the Amazon price by going to ultimatepodcastbook.com. Again, that website for 33% off the Amazon price is ultimatepodcastbook.com.